powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. We're continuing in our series on the family. By the way, you'll notice when you came in here, there were cards on the seats there, just like we've been throughout this entire series. I'm encouraging everyone in our church to invite someone for this series. Now, next Sunday is going to be a special Sunday. Next Sunday, we're going to actually step outside of this series, and we have a guest coming in who I know you are going to enjoy. So just continue inviting, and then even after you leave next Sunday, take some more cards with you as I'll pick up the second part of of what I want to talk about today, and that is really, it's love. I want to talk specifically about love. Here's the reality. We, as parents, and we may not all be parents, but I got to tell you, uh, everything in this series is not just about raising our kids, but everything we're talking about in this series can be used in our lives with the other people around us, whether they are in our family or they we're in friendship relationships or whatever they are. God, these are biblical principles that can be used in all of our lives. Parenting, in terms of parenting, so much of what we do can be a task. You know, we, 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 uh, it's also true in our marriages, it's true in our business, it's in our friendships. The things that we do in life, sometimes we can look at them as a task, as, as things that we have to do. When we're looking at parenting, here's what I want to look at this morning. I want to start out by looking at what is the engine as moms and dads, what drives us as a parent? What is it that, that, that moves us through this process of parenting? What is it that we day by day uh, lean on? And, and we, we can do it, we can have the wrong things be the engine for parenting. For example, you and I can, we can parent out of fear. We can raise our kids out of fear thinking, well, what, is, what are other people going to think about the way that I raised my kid? What's my mother-in-law going to think about the way I what, what, what are my grandparents going to do? So we can, parent, we can parent our kids out of fear. We can also do it out of guilt. Sometimes we, we're, listen, if you're divorced, so often you're raising your kids out of fear, knowing my, my, kids, are, my kids are coming out of a divorce situation, and, and guilt can be one of the things that drives us in our raising kids. Responsibility is a good thing, but, but we can be raising our kids just in light of responsibility, and that may not be the healthiest thing to do. But there are times that parenting, you know, it, 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 we look at it as a task. It starts out when they're infants. You know, the day starts, and it usually will start with the crying baby and then a bottle and then some diaper changes, and then maybe another bottle in there somewhere, and then some cuddling, and, then, and, then, and, and, and we're checking off all the boxes, and by the end of the day, the baby's in the crib, and we can check this box off and this day off as done, maybe. It's the same thing when our kids are 17. They're up in the morning, and there's breakfast if you do that sort of thing. They're out the door. They're at school, and then they're back in your home, and they're wherever they are, and then there's dinner, and then, and then, then they're out with friends, and, whatever, and, and they're back in by curfew, and, and there's another day. 
you can just check off in this task of parenting. But family isn't just tasks. Family is relationship. Relationships with our kids, with each other. And if you're like me, moms and dads, so often we can feel like failures. I can think of many times over the years that as a parent, I just felt like a failure. And we just flat out need to accept that because I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, my parents were not, your parents were not perfect, and we can all agree that our kids are certainly not perfect. We just need to give our, and, and everybody has an opinion for us. Sociologists have opinions for us. Our grandparents, everybody's got an opinion, and they're not all helpful. We just need to give ourselves some slack. And the reality is we need to stop and look at God's Word. Do you know why? Because God's Word is truth for us. In His Word, we will always find truth. And the thing that I want to land on this morning is that as a parent, in raising our kids, and even, even, even if it's an issue, of, even if it's just relationships in our lives, the most important thing is love. It is without question the most important thing. And I'm talking about real, genuine love. When it comes to our kids, I think one of the starting places that we need to start at is, is Jesus' words in, in Matthew 19. And, and there are a number of places in Scripture, especially in the four Gospels, where, where Jesus actually talks about this. But look what he says in Matthew 19, verse 14. He says, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, because the kingdom of heaven belongs to people who are like these children. You see, the scenario there, Bible scholars tell us that what was going on was all around that area, people were beginning to recognize that this guy named Jesus was something special. The talk was by some of the, some of the people that, that he might even be the Messiah, that their prophets had talked about for thousands of years. But, but, but at the very least, he was a great teacher. He was something really special. He stood out far and wide, heads above everyone else, and everyone was astonished. And moms and dads were saying, you know what? We're going to take you to come see Jesus. There's this, this teacher that we want, we, want you to, we want you to meet him. And just like you and I promising our kids that we're going to go somewhere, these moms took their kids and, and maybe some of the dads, and, and, and they came to this place where Jesus was meeting. And the crowd was huge, and, and there was so much going on, and the disciples are thinking, you know, he doesn't have time for this. And so they're telling the moms, and they're telling the dads, listen, you, you can't see. J Jesus is doing so many other things, the, these, the things that are so important. We, we just don't have time for you to see Jesus. And Jesus heard this. Now, bear in mind, it's Jesus. He could have been on the other side of the hill, and he would have known that it was said, Right? But Jesus heard this, and he steps right into the conversation, and he says, don't 
Stop them. Bring them to me. Jesus loved children over and over again. We see it. He has a passion for, he, he loves everyone. And the children are, are, children are so inclusive in that group. He says, don't prevent the children from coming to see me. As parents, if you and I will start with that, if we will start with the fact that Jesus loves the little children, Jesus loves our children, if we'll start with that, if we'll stay with that, if we will never detour from that, then we will, we will be in the process of raising our kids to follow him. Drawing our strength, letting the foundation be the fact that Jesus loves our kids. Because the reality is if you're going to love like Jesus loved, then you're going to have to start with the people that are closest to you. And there's nobody closer to you than your kids. There's nobody closer to you than your spouse. There's nobody closer to you than the relationships in your life. John 13 is a passage of Scripture that I want to, and I look at this passage so often in so, in so many of our talks because this is a point that Jesus stops and he says to his disciples and he says to you and I, he says, I'm giving you a new command. He doesn't say, well, you know, none, none of the old commands matter anymore. He's, no, he, 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 they will live on and be a part of it, but he says, I am giving you a brand new command. I, I'm stepping up to you, my disciples and my followers, and I'm saying to you, listen, in your life, there needs to be a paradigm shift. The, the way you live and operate just needs to change. I want you to fully understand this. I'm giving you a new command. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. I want you to love each other the way I love you, he says. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples, that you are my followers, that you are my children. And that scripture verse, I want to look at four points this morning that come directly out of this passage of Scripture. How do we love like Jesus loved? Which reminds me of a mom who was making pancakes for her two sons, Kevin and Mikey. Kevin was five years old. Mikey was three years old. The two of them are sitting there on the island cabinet, and mom is just starting to make pancakes. And they start arguing over who's going to get the first pancake. You, you can envision this. I mean, it could easily happen in your home. And mom sees this and she says, you know what? This is a perfect teachable moment. And she says to them, boys, if Jesus were here, Jesus wouldn't be saying that. Jesus would say, you know what? Give the first pancake to my brother. That's what Jesus would say, mom says. Without batting an eye, Taking a moment to think about it, Kevin, who's five, turns to Mikey and he says, Mikey, you be Jesus. <laughs> that, that would be us. 
that is just the way we think. But today I want to look at this command that Jesus gives us. And he says to us, I want you to love each other the way I loved you. And, and I want to show you how the, in our lives as moms and dads, as parents, as aunts, uncles, grandparents, how God wants to use this very passage of Scripture in light of our kids. So if you're going to love like Jesus, number one, what do you do? You follow his example. In that passage of Scripture, Jesus said, just as I. He says, I am the example. Do what I do. In life, you and I tend to follow the example that we focus on. In different areas of our lives, we, we tend to follow the example that we focus on. And, and it's the same, same in parenting. The, 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 the example that we see and the example that we focus on is typically what we follow. See, here at, at, at Camelback, we do Financial Peace University. And when we do Financial Peace University, the example that we follow, Dave Ramsey just sets right up for us. And we take nine weeks and we focus on that example. In different areas of our lives, we, we focus on examples, and it's the example that we focus on that we typically follow. Coming here every, every morning the, it, during the week, it, the, the, the construction on Camelback at two places between my house and here, it narrows down to one lane. And, and so I, I tried several different examples, and which we tried Indian school, I, tr I tried I tried Glendale and, and Camelback. Which one is which one is going to be the, sh the shortest? Now everybody else is doing the same thing, so it's hard to figure the whole mess out. But 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 I but I ended up choosing one and focusing on, and that's the one that I go on. We find what we think is the best, and we follow it. Here's the deal: we we tend as parents, we tend to have the kind of marriage that our parents had. Because that's the one that was in front of us. That's the one that we focus on. Unless we choose a different example. You might come from a family where, where the only hugs you got was maybe on Christmas Day. There, there was Christmas morning hugs. And so the reality is in your home, there are probably not a lot of hugs. Maybe you grew up in a home that was very loud. How many of you grew up in a home that was loud? Yeah, some of you. How many of you grew up in a home that was very quiet? More of you. The rest of you didn't grow up in homes. Is that what? When, when, we, when Karen and I got married, we, we made the decision to not have one of those quiet homes. Now, we didn't want a real loud home, but we didn't want it to be quiet. We did not want to have to be in discussion with somebody or in conversation or, or playing a game or something, and, and we would have to keep it down because Wes was sleeping. We wanted Wes to sleep through anything. We just made noise. We made, it, we made it as normal and noisy as it could be so that he would learn to sleep through that. We would never have to worry about it. Now, it kind of backfired because Wesley can sleep through almost anything and never wakes up. But, 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 but the reality is we, we did not want a quiet home. It wasn't a real loud home. Now, there are parts of our family, extended family, that have really loud homes. But that's not what we want. And we tend and we gravitate towards the example that's in front of us. But sometimes we're running away from a bad example. What do you do if your home is a bad home? What if your home has bad 
examples? What if your home has broken examples? And it's, it's, it's not enough to run from one example to another. There has to be more than that. One of the things that I notice in, in people's lives is that there, there can be, if, 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 if there's a guy who grows up with his dad and his dad is an alcoholic and his thought process and his decision process is, I don't want to be that. What so often happens is he develops a focus of bitterness. Bitterness will destroy you from inside out. And while he may be successful in not being an alcoholic, his focus is on his dad and not being an alcoholic. And what typically happens, in every other way, he will become like his dad. And somebody will walk up to him and they'll say, you know, you're just like your dad. And the reaction is, I am not like my father, because he's thinking of that issue. And so often that issue will show itself up in another area of his life, but it'll be the same issue. It's not good enough to just move from a bad example to another example, even if it's better. There needs to be more. And that's why Jesus looks at his disciples and he said, I am offering you something new. This is brand new. And, and I, I need you, Jesus is saying. He's saying this to his disciples, and he's saying it to you and I. He's saying, I need you to start trusting me. See, the old examples in our lives are kind of like magnets. They, they keep pulling us back towards them. And Jesus is saying, I've got a brand new magnet. There's nothing more powerful than what I'm talking about. And that magnet will have the power to pull you away from all of those other stronger magnets. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul recognizes what Jesus is saying. Paul knows he's not perfect. Paul talks about in numerous places in his writings how imperfect he is. He knows he's not perfect, but he says, at least I'm trying to follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. If I am trying to follow Christ, then that is my model. That's the model that I'm going to follow. I'm going to love like Jesus loves, because that's specifically what he comes to us and he says, this is the most important thing I have for you to do. And he tells us, I want you to love. I, I want to be the, ex I'm the example as to how you should love. And if you and I, listen, as moms and dads, if Christ is our model and we are following Christ, our kids are going to be drawn to that model. When we are following, we are being obedient, we are, we are following Christ, the natural inclination of our kids will be drawn to that example. And you can't, 
you can't erase other examples that are in your life. You and I can't. We can't just, we can't just make the past go away. But we can respond with the example of Christ. Because every step, every step as I follow Christ, every single step will reflect in my family. Because it is what God does in our lives. See, it's not just a matter of a decision. It's, it's a matter of a relationship. It's a matter of a relationship that has unbelievable power behind it because, because we were designed and created by God. We were purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. We, we are now God's children because of that, and his Holy Spirit is living inside of us. And so this is the very process that God is doing in the heart and lives of our family. And look what Jesus tells us. He tells us in, in John 13, 15, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Once again, he's saying, I'm the example. You need to do what I do. You know when he said this? This is the night before he laid his life down. And he's sitting in a room with his disciples, and you know what he just did? He looked around the room, and you know what he saw? He saw his disciples. They had proud hearts, and they had dirty feet. And Jesus went, and he got a towel, and he got a basin of water. And, and he knelt down in front of them, absolute humility. And he served them, and he washed their feet. Some of you this morning, you, you wouldn't want anybody to touch your feet. Some of us feel like we have weird toes, and some of us feel like we have ugly feet. And it's interesting when you get in this whole discussion of feet, the way people, some people feel about their feet. I never felt any of that. I think my feet are great. I think my feet are attractive. But can you imagine, and Jesus does this. He, he washes their feet, and then he says, I need you to do what I've done. We, we do this sometimes in, in churches, and we'll have a foot washing ceremony. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about humility and serving, and, 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 it's, and it's powerful. But this wasn't a religious ceremony. This, there was no ceremony about this. This was just a practical need and an opportunity to serve. Pretty similar to changing a baby's diaper in the nursery. Jesus did a very practical thing that nobody dreamed he would do. He is our model. But you can't follow what you can't see. See, if you don't see Jesus in, in, in a real way, you, you really can't follow him. And if you don't know who Jesus is, my encouragement to you is open up, open up the New Testament and read the four Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you will read through them, and if you'll do it repeatedly, you will get to see Jesus. And you will recognize who he is. And following him will be so much easier. When we see him clearly, it is easy to follow him. He is our model. 
You want to go a step further? Do you want to be a parent that knocks it out of the park? Spend five minutes a day with Jesus. And then spend five minutes a day with your little child. Spend five minutes a day with each of your kids. And begin, begin, to, begin to let your little children see and understand who Jesus is and who he is in your life as you are following Christ. Following his example is number one. Number two is it's the best foundation. It is the absolute best foundation. In that passage of Scripture, Jesus said, I want you to love as I have loved you. I want you to do what I do. I want you to love the way I love. The reality is, church, when you experience and when you realize how much Jesus loves you, understanding how much he loves you will be the greatest experience in your life. Understanding just how, and listen, I, I don't have the ability to fully understand. I can't wrap my brain around how much God's word tells me he loves me. I just can't do it. I, I, you know, it took me 50 years to just to begin to, just to begin to understand how far beyond my thinking is his ability to love me and how great that is. And your kids and my kids, if we will do that, if we'll spend five minutes with Jesus and five minutes with our kids, and, and over the course of time, relationship, understanding will all be built in the lives of our kids. And our kids will watch us do this. This will build a greater security in our kids. They cannot have a better security than knowing that God loves them unconditionally. They will experience at their age, they will experience joy and peace. And nothing will be able to take that away from them. And Jesus simply says, I want you to love the way I love you. And it's not a love that we can earn. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. He freely gives it to us, his children. God's love is unconditional. Unconditional. Our love, not so much. I, I promise to love you and cherish you if and then we have the things that we think are necessary for us to continue to love you. And his love is unconditional. Look at Romans 8.1. He says this, now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. He will never condemn you or me. Now, the opinions of others in our lives will condemn us. And the reality is our own opinion of ourselves will often condemn us. It'll, it'll rattle our tree. But Jesus says, listen, you're my children. You are at my table. I will never kick you away from my table. We do things in life. We'll do something in life and we'll think, I, I, am, I, am, I messed up so much this time, I can't possibly go near his table. And that's what we're thinking. 
And he's looking the 12 right in the face, and he's looking you and I square in the face, and he says to us, you will never leave my table. You will always be at my table. There's nothing that you could ever do that would make me love you less than I love you. We can't wrap our brain. I can't wrap my brain around that. But that is true love. Jesus goes on. That, that, this is a great model. There is no better foundation to build our lives on and the lives of our kids on than Jesus' model. John 15, 9, I've loved you the way my Father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. I love you with everything. There's nothing withheld. I'm all in, he says, in my love for you. And the way that I can do that is because that's the way my father loved me, Jesus says. I had an example to me, and I'm giving that example to you. And it works every single time. And it is never withheld. And it is absolutely constant. And it is all Powerful. When you realize that you love because you are greatly loved, it's understanding who God is. Recognizing how much God loves us will settle this issue in our lives of wondering. And when you and I do that, we need to never, 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 never get over it. We need to always remember how much God loves us. Paul says in Ephesians 5, be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Number three in your notes, he has a higher purpose. He has a higher purpose purpose. God always does things on purpose. In that passage of Scripture, he says, your love, why do I want you to love each other? Because your love for each other will prove that you are my disciples. Your love for each other will prove that you are my children. Your love for each other will prove that you are my followers. And that's an identity that when that gets transferred and your kids grow up behind you and they watch this happen, it will solidify in their lives who God is. God says in this passage of Scripture, he says, I've got even a higher purpose than love itself. We think that love is the purpose. It's, it's the ultimate. There's an even higher purpose than love itself. God is purposeful in every single thing he does. Last night I was at Home Depot. I went to pick something up that I needed, and I was in line waiting. And in front of me was a family, young family, mom, dad, three little kids. One of those three kids was a Down syndrome boy, and he was sitting in the cart. And I just watched 
the relationship in that family. I watched mom and dad with that little boy in the cart. An unbelievable, loving relationship with that child. I watched the relationship of the two other kids, the boy and the girl, with that child and with their mom and their dad. Handicapped children, kids with Down syndrome, our culture looks at them and thinks something is wrong. And I'm watching one of the greatest creations and examples of a family designed by God, that God knew each of the pieces he would put together in that family. Handicapped children have an impact on families that is staggeringly healthy in terms of relationship. Love is powerful in those families. Our culture says we need to not let these children be born because something is wrong. And God is looking down and he's saying, every single person I made, I made them with intention, I made them purposeful, every change in their, everything about them, I designed. And our world says no, and God says, oh, I'm going to do so much more than you ever thought possible. It is power. The love of God is powerful. God has a higher purpose than even love. And our parenting must have a purpose higher than itself. As parents, our ultimate goal is not just parenting. The goal has to be higher. The purpose is so the world can see not who we are, but so that the world around us can see whose we are. When you love one another, the world is going to know that you are my disciples, that you are my followers. Look at Psalm 115. I love this passage. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Glory. What, 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 does, what, what's, what does glory mean? Glory is when you and I see God for who he really is. When we don't see him for, for, for what we were told in, in this class or that class or, 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 or we grew up in this place. No, when we recognize who he really is. And Jesus gives us real clarity in this passage because love is the engine Love is the engine that will drive everything. See, the key for a strong family is when you and I realize that God doesn't just want to work in our family, but he actually wants to work through our family. We grow up, look, we, we have kids, and we enjoy our kids. You know when you're successful as a parent? You're successful as a parent when other people enjoy your kids. When, when you drop your kids off at, at someone's home and, and, and whatever's going on, and then, and then you take your kids up and leave, and when you leave, they think, oh, my God, I'm glad that one is gone. 
You know you're successful when other people are enjoying your kids. Look what Psalm 127 says. Children are a gift from the Lord. I love this passage of Scripture. Our kids are a gift from God. When they put your car around a telephone pole, you probably don't think that. When they do things that are wrong and we're in the midst of a mess, we probably don't think that. But that's the reality. Our kids are a gift from God. I love the story of Samuel. His mother, Hannah, makes it so clear in 1 Samuel 1.27. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, petition that I made to him. I asked God for a son, she's saying. I asked and I asked and I asked, and finally he gave me one. So I have dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. See, we don't do infant baptism here at Camelback. We, we, we do baptisms. As a matter of fact, there'll be, there'll be another baptism coming up soon. So if you want to be baptized, make sure you fill out a card so we know that, that, that you're ready for that. And, but, we, but, but what we do with our children is we do exactly what Hannah did. Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple, and they dedicated him to the Lord. See, our children are a gift. And, and as, as, as parents, parents who are following Christ, what we do, we recognize that they're a gift. And as moms and dads, being good stewards of that, we, we give our kids back to God. And the challenge in a baby dedication, I, I challenge moms and dads, are you willing? I'm not going to challenge the infant. What's he going to do? What's she going to do? They don't even know what's going on. But moms and dads, Will you be faithful as a follower of Christ? Will you be faithful in raising your kid up so that when the time comes, the simple transition is they recognize who Jesus is and they accept him as their Savior. And, and, and they move from you being the authority in their lives to God being the authority in their lives. And that's the transition as parents we look for. The fourth thing is he gives us greater power. Love each other. Jesus said, I want you to love each other. And he gives us the power to do it. 1 John 4.19. We love because he first loves us. And God desires to do this in our families and in our lives. Look, God's not going to come into your family and turn your family into some Amish family or some 1950s-style family. He's going to come into your family, and what he's going to do is you're, is you're going to experience real love. And there are going to be real mistakes. But then you're going to have real hope, and God will be at work in the heart and life of your family. And it's because of his love. How does that play out? Well, you'll get up one morning, and you will totally mess up, and you'll do it all wrong, and you'll scream at your kids as they're out the door going to school, and you'll send them off in a horrible way. But when they come home, you're going to say, you know what? I am so sorry for the way I yelled at you, for the way I talked to you, for the way I acted this morning. I am so sorry. 
Would you forgive me? Your kids are going to do the same thing. They're going to mess up. They're going to yell at something. They're going to do something bad. But they're going to be following mom and dad who were willing to say, you know what? This is not right. I'm sorry. And, and we, we are going to live out following Christ, mistakes and all. I love our, our Camelback kids here. I love our student ministries with junior high and senior high because, because what we're doing together with moms and dads, we are building on a foundation, building on a foundation of a love that knows no limits. And we're building truth into our kids. And, and together with you guys, we, 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 we let our kids know that they are loved by this unconditional love of a Savior. And it's powerful. Paul says, for, Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, some of us think that our families are kind of, we think that if, if, if we had a family like the families in the Bible, it would, it would be okay, but, but my family's messed up. I was going to say screwed up, but Karen won't let me say that anymore. I, my, we think my family's all messed up. I got to tell you something. From the very beginning, all through Scripture, the only thing you see are messed up families. In the very beginning, God says, you know what? I looked at the earth. Things were so screwed, so messed up that, that, that there, I couldn't find one good family. And, and, but I found one good family, and it was Noah. As he talks to this guy into building a boat, and then the world is destroyed by water, and then, and then you have Noah's family is the only family on earth. And what does Noah do? He gets drunk, and he lays naked in a tent, and there's a whole big issue with his sons, and then he has to curse one of his kids. So this perfect family is all screwed up. All of the families, David, the, the, the Bible says that he had a heart that sought after God. David loved God. He had a passion for God. David's life full of major screw-ups, adultery, murder. They're all messed up families. Jesus said, God says to Abraham, I'm, I'm going to, look, your descendants are going to be so many. So we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and it's interesting because this whole, this whole story of, of Jacob and Esau, the Bible says that when they were in the womb together, they were fighting each other. And, and, and talk about a screwed up, uh, messed up family. That not only were they in their womb fighting each other, right? But, but their family was so dysfunctional, mama favored one boy and daddy favored the other boy. And this was nonstop with the two of them. And mama got together with the second born and they connived and they tricked, they ripped off the, uh, the firstborn from his birthright and they fooled their dad. Unbelievable dysfunction in this family. But they are in the lineage, in the line of God saying to Abraham, your descendants are going to be greater than the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. And you and I, followers of Christ, are sitting here today. We are some of the sands of the sea and some of the stars of the sky. God uses screw messed up families over and over and over again. 
It is all he uses. He doesn't have any perfect families in Scripture. All he's got are messed up families. You know what the difference is? The difference is love. Jesus said, I want you to love the way I have loved you. With it, if you have love, with it you have hope. Without it, you have nothing. And you and I get to choose. Are we going to follow Christ? And are we going to do what he said? Love one another the way he loved us. He loved us unconditionally. And Paul in Corinthians he gives us a whole description of what love is and some of the things that love is not. And, and look what he wraps it. Look what, look what he says here as, as he's talking about it. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have a gift of prophecy and I can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge and I have the faith that can move a mountain, but I have not love, I am nothing. In other words, if I'm the most religious person in the universe, but I don't have love, I am absolutely nothing. And then he goes on to say, if I give all my possessions to the poor, surrender my body to the flames, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. It, in other words, if I make the greatest sacrifices that are possible to be made, but I do it without love, it isn't worth squat. Because it is all about love. And as you and I are following Christ, and we are loving each other, because that's what he calls us to do, loving the way Jesus loved. You could be a parent and be totally drained and nothing left. And at the end of your rope, but you still have love, then God, is working in your life. And God is working through you as a parent. Because the power of love and loving our kids the way Christ loves us will give them a security that nothing in the world can ever take away. Stand with me this morning. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for giving us a new command, for refocusing the universe on something so powerful as the love of God, and, and for doing it in a way that, that applying it in our lives is not a difficult Lord, I pray for all of our families here this morning and, and, the, and, and future families here that, that you are going to birth. Lord, may we apply this in our lives. May we be willing, Lord, to say to you, I'll give you five minutes in the morning. And I'll take the five minutes that we spend together and I'll spend five minutes with each child knowing that that is a process that you want to use in our lives 
and in the hearts and lives of our kids. Lord, we look in anticipation for the wonderful things that you will do through that. And Father, with grateful hearts this morning, we, we can look all around these, these rows and this service and the earliest service, the work that you are doing in our lives, the relationships in our lives and our relationships with you. We thank you this morning. And we simply ask you in all humility to just continue doing that in our lives and give us the strength and the wisdom as moms and dads as we love you and we love our kids. And let me just go a step further here this morning. If you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, you understand that Jesus died for your sins and that he rose again on the third day but you've never accepted him as your Savior, and you'd like to do that. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'd like you to just simply put your hand right up, put it right back down, and I'll pray for you this morning. Yes, yes, yes. Father, for the four this morning that have accepted you as their personal Savior, Oh, Lord, I pray that you wrap your arms of love around them. Lord, I pray that they would share it with those around, share it with somebody this morning. God, we are so thankful they've moved from spiritual death to spiritual life, that they've accepted you as their Savior. Now they're part of your family, part of your kingdom, and joint heirs with Christ. And they're part of our family here at Camelback. Lord, bless them. We look forward for your continued work in their lives, understanding that now they have a home with you when they leave this planet, but also understanding that they are part of our family, part of your family. We pray your richest blessings on their lives, we pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your love. As we step out into this day, Lord, may we honor you in all that we do. Bless this day and your church family. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.